Shalom. Rabbi Tuvia Teldon, we're at ground zero now, together with Colonel Jacob Gotin, who's the chief chaplain for the Army National Guard here for New York State. Colonel Gotin, it's a pleasure to have you with us. Thank you very much, Rabbi Teldon. First of all, I want to ask you, of course, we're at a very holy side, a special side, a place where you've spent many, many hours and days during the course of the past months. Tell us, where were you in 9-11, and what did you do at that time as the head of chaplain for the National Guard? Um, I was actually in, at a, about to attend a, a meeting at one of my offices that I do uh, when I'm not in the Army, and uh, someone said there was a fire in the World Trade Center. We went to see, look at the fire, and uh, I, was, I saw the... Uh, the second plane go into um, to South Tower. So what happens when that occurs? You go right into action, and what happens? Well, um, I immediately realized that something terrible had happened. Uh, shortly thereafter, I received a phone call uh, that we mobilized, and I immediately headed to uh, Manhattan. Now, how did you react when you first came here and saw the devastation that was taking place? What went through your mind and your heart? I was totally overwhelmed. I didn't know where to start. I, it was just, the, the situation was chaotic. Um, it was very hard to react. Um, and everybody was in a state of shock from whoever you saw. They just couldn't believe what was happening. People were running, people were coming in, and people were coming out. Things were just happening. Uh, they had to get control of the site. The, the police department did. Um, things are just happening, uh, and for me, I was just overwhelmed by the devastation. Now, as a chaplain, your responsibility, really, I suppose, is to give that kind of strength and faith and, and a inner motivation for people to be able to go through the kind of things that we're going to be seeing and experiencing here. That must be a very difficult job. It sure was. It was uh, extremely difficult. Uh, realizing uh, there were hundreds and hundreds of people at that time trapped beneath the rubble. Everybody's minds, their adrenaline was pumping to attempt to save those people. Everybody, whether you're the chaplain, or you're a policeman, you're a fireman, no matter what you were, you were going to go and do something to help these people. Now, you, of course, as a Labab Shechassid, taking the position that you have, which is to be the chief chaplain, not only for, of course, the rabbis and the rabbinical staff, but also for all of the Catholic and Protestant chaplains, how do you relate to them in terms of energizing and being able to mobilize everybody to take on this tremendous responsibility? Um, we don't have that many rabbis in the Guard. Most of my uh, chaplains are uh, not Jewish, uh, of various uh, denominations and faiths. Uh, soldiers, uh, especially chaplains, know what they have to do. Um, I immediately uh, started making my phone calls to the various chaplains that I have uh, off a phone that I was surprised that was working. And uh, everybody had been raided by then, received uh, phone calls, they were mobilized, and they were rolling towards uh, New York City. As, as uh, the president said, let's roll. And they were rolling. They were rolling. They were rolling. And um, chaplains did what they have to do. In a situation like this, you don't counsel people of your faith. You counsel everybody. And there's no such thing as Jewish, Catholic, Protestant, Islamic, Buddhist, or whatever is out there. Um, a person is hurting, you counsel them. A person wants to pray, you pray with them. That's how it works. And that's exactly what we're doing out here. Now, can you tell us on 9-11 some of the experiences that you or some of your other chaplains had as far as the type of uh, advice they were giving and the chaplaincy services they were giving? Um... Basically, essentially, our, our job, our mission was to make sure 
that the, our, our primary care is, of course, soldiers and um, their needs uh, and the experiences that they experience and to sit down to talk to them to see what they were going through and what they were seeing and feeling and uh, what they, what, how their emotions were. Um, our, our job um, was uh, a large mission, so 24-7 mission, especially initially and still is now. And what we did was to help everybody. Now, uh, many things happened here. I, I can only, I think, relate to you the, within the first, uh, it's a little more than a week after uh, 9-11, we had Rosh Hashanah here. Uh, uh, came, the calendar came, the day came. And I immediately, uh, within a couple of days of being here, I started thinking uh, ahead of me. You know, I knew we were going to be here. I knew we were going to have to do things. And, you know, um, the Rebbe always would speak in uh, Fabrengans that, uh, you know, to always look forward, always be forward thinking, always forward looking. And that's the training we have as soldiers as well. And um, I began preparing here for Rosh Hashanah services at Ground Zero. So what happened here on Rosh Hashanah? What did you do here? Well, for Rosh Hashanah, we blew shofar at Ground Zero in this area at three different places. It's like a, if you look at the area, it's a, a box. It's kind of a square, rectangle, however you want to call it. In the three different area parts of this uh, place on both days of Rosh Hashanah, we blew skiers and we had short Services. After all, everybody was in the rescue. Was, we were in the rescue operations, and people didn't have very much time. And they 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 wanted to they wanted to hear a chauffeur, and they wanted to say some words of prayer, but they didn't have uh, the kind of time that would allot you to stand there for an hour or two. That would be uh, even I myself would find that difficult to do. And uh, I remember that as soon as we took the chauffeur in my hands the, to blow the first time to ski us. Uh, I had tremendous difficulty in doing it. Uh, the skiers didn't come out. It was just, it was. I was overwhelmed. I, I was overwhelmed by the thought. I was overwhelmed uh, by the knowledge of where I was standing. That within feet of where I was going to show for, there were people. They were attempting to um, rescue and save people's lives. Now you mentioned also, of course, the Rebbe has always inspired us and directed us to look forward, to be positive, to keep. The proper perspective on these types of situations. How, as a uh, as a person in your position, having been in Granada, having been in the Gulf War, having gone through the experiences that you've gone through, what inspiration do you draw from the Rebbe's teachings, as far as being able to continue with your work and do what you need to do? The Rebbe's teachings are always a light for us in terms of going forward. Uh, actually, um, it was the first Friday night that I was here. It was a couple, of, you know, we were here a couple of days, and I looked inside my army vehicle and I found uh, one of the Rebbe's thoughts of the week, and uh, that, that it was among uh, it was among my things, you know, that that I have that I have, and uh, uh, there was a very interesting thought there. That thought, the Rebbe's thought was that uh, talked about uh, sorrow and um, uh, what to do to overcome. It was, uh, it was to do it. It talked to, it was in, in, in one of the parishes. And what the Rebbe's message was that no matter how bad things are, if we look to Hashem, to God, uh, we can overcome that. And it was interesting that here, 
ground zero. You have no idea how many people would come over to say, says, you know, uh, can, can you do a prayer with me, chaplain? Uh, I'm not Jewish. Is that okay? I mean, they realized early out I, that, that I was not. But you were there for everybody. That, well, yeah, that wasn't that I remember the Jewish faith, and I was there for everybody. Uh, we had an interesting uh, happening. You know, we, we, we put up a, uh, a flags. There were some. There, there, they had to go look for flags. Uh, we didn't have any flags here, and went to and the soldier and uh, one of the soldiers came over to me, and then one of the cops did and said. Um, uh, you know, we were, can you lead us in prayer? I said, let's bless the flag. And, they, and before I knew it, there were 300 people standing around. Really? And we in a semicircle. We, we said a prayer uh, over the flag and the country and the people and everybody here. Then we hoisted the flag. Everybody stood at attention, saluted, and, and within seconds, that same crowd just disappeared back to work. It was a very emotional moment uh, when you do that because that told us that to, to our country that, you know, can't get us down. Right. But you know what? I think part of the amazing thing is that even though you're here in Grand Syria and you're experiencing that, that same experience could have taken place in the middle of Oklahoma or Iowa because the, the intensity of the emotions and the patriotism and the feelings of back to basics that's come as a result of this event is something that's spread far beyond Grand Syria, as of course you're well aware. Um, it, it was interesting that when you were when we were here, and I, I'm very well aware of that because I met uh, chaplains and people who came in from other parts of the country who told us how the whole country is um, behind us and that and what what you know what has happened here, how that has helped propel us uh, and, and gave us the strength. Right, With, you know they're telling to move on and to do all this hard work that we're doing, and even today, uh, almost four months later on. Uh, as we stand here, um, there's a lot of hard work going on, and people are motivated, knowing that they're doing something uh, very, very important. They are, we are recovering bodies, um, giving closure to families. Uh, the, 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 the rescue workers are doing that, and everything's done with dignity and respect. How do you compare this experience to your experiences in Grenada and in the Gulf War? Very different. In what way? Uh, we saw the enemy. We knew the enemy in front of us, and we had to overcome the enemy. Um, and, and our losses weren't that great. Over here, the enemy came, struck, uh, struck civilians, didn't strike soldiers. People left their homes in the morning full of plans for that night. And um, they then uh, ended up being killed here. But for you personally, your experience, what you went through in those two other locations when you were on the front lines, you're on the front lines there also. How do you deal with it in terms of your own faith, your own emotions, your own dealings with people? Your obviously the the, uh, the dimensions of this experience is something that is far beyond anything you could have possibly prepared for. No one, no one will ever be prepared for such a thing like we had here. It just doesn't work. It's, it's unfathomable to be prepared for something. There are no books, nothing written, how to do with this. You know, we have books of everything. I don't think there are any books for this. Um, the, the experience there that I had was serve, so, so, my mission was to soldiers to, to be there for their religious and morale needs um, and whatever else they had, strictly for soldiers. Here, um, we, we were in the same role serving soldiers, but we were dealing with civilians and uh, we were assisting our own. In our own country, uh, we were under attack. We never were attacked in our own country. So everything changed, dynamic change. Right. And therefore, uh, for myself, uh, it was a different role that we played in. How do you deal with a soldier who comes to you crying or filled with emotions, just not able to handle the immensity of what their job is and asking you for counsel as far as how to be able to give themselves 
the inner strength necessary to go through what they are they have to go through as a soldier. We have, we I talk always positive. We talk we, we talk extensively about what they ha- what what has happened to them, what is happening to them. But we look for the future. We talk about we we, we always accentuate the positive. That was one of the uh, things we ever always talked about. Right. Always look at, at go positive. You know, we keep going forward. That's the only way. Right. I know from uh, previous talks that we've had that it's because of the Lubavitcher Rebbe that you're in this position in the first place. And I'm sure the Rebbe is a constant inspiration for you as far as directing your steps and guiding you in what you do and how you do it. Can you share with our audience a little bit of, of uh, how that inspiration serves to be able to continue your work? I'll tell you, the Rebbe didn't put me in the position. He only told me to go to the Army. <laughs> uh, didn't promote me. He just sent me to the Army. Uh, Knowing, you know, just to share a story with you, when I went to Desert Storm, even now, in, in, in my helmet, I have a picture. So I, you know, I'm always thinking uh, of uh, protection. Uh, the Rebbe's the, the um, teachings and um, his, his uh, love for all of us, uh, whoever we are, wherever we were, is the inspiration to go forward. I mean, the Rebbe always uh, was interested in the, sm- the smallest of humans, the smallest of things, the, I wouldn't say the lowest, but the most simple of persons, as he was interested in the greatest of persons. And that uh, teaching has uh, propelled me to be able to do this for over 26 years uh, as being a chaplain. Well, I'm sure, especially with some of the things that you saw personally and the experiences you've had here, you need that faith. And I, I'm sure it's, it solidifies it to a certain degree because if there would be any loose link in that faith, it would be for sure find a way here of being able to, to break it open. But, of course, as a head chaplain, I'm sure that that faith is strong. And I'm sure there are other chaplains probably that you have to reinforce as well who don't have necessarily the tools or the knowledge or the background or the depth of faith to be able to go through the experience of what they've had to go through here. We don't teach faith. The uh, chaplain corps doesn't teach faith. What we do is we mentor. And we mentor younger chaplains or chaplains who have not been around as long as uh, the older chaplains. We have senior chaplains who do that. It's very, very important. And um, even during this mission, uh, you know, uh, who's, who's uh, chaplain the chaplain, we say. Right. You know, who's taking care of the chaplain? Uh, we all think we can take care of ourselves, and yet some, some of us, many of us probably, you know, in the course of time, needed, you know, to be looked at as well. Uh, but yes, it's true. Um, um, the, Reb, the Rebbe's teachings over the years and our, our own faith belief, whichever person believes in, not in the Rebbe's teachings I'm talking about myself, has um, been a very important uh, source of strength. And now, for people who see you as a head chaplain for New York State, what kind of reactions do you get? What kind of situations do you find yourself in? Well, um, they, I've had many heads turned, you know, especially when they look at my shoulder and they see that I'm a colonel, and uh, even soldiers, they uh, turn around and they said, yes, sir. You know, they don't realize it, and as I pass by, or they say, I'm sorry, sir, I said, it's okay, don't worry about it. Um, it's an interesting position to be in, and it's more interesting than being a chassid in the Army. That's even more interesting. I can imagine. In addition, I have another question for you. You're here in Ground Zero on a daily basis. You come here, you realize that you're on holy ground, hallowed ground, ground where over 3,700 souls were lost and went to, back to their maker. 
I know you come here and you do services. Can you tell our audience a little bit about what you do and respect for this area that you approach with great, uh, great piety in order to be able to give it the proper respect? Well, um, what I do here every day on a personal level uh, in terms of prayer is I say the Psalms here every day. Um, the Psalms uh, to, to ensure that uh, from, from a religious perspective that it's done properly. Right. So you say that the portion for the day for the Psalms and I'm sure you help other people also in prayer as well. Uh, yes, anybody who, who wants prayer and who's in need of prayer and asks for prayer, um, we pray with them. And it makes a difference what faith they believe in. Calvin, just in wrapping up, can you tell us perhaps one experience that you had, a personal experience, which made a very lasting impression on you in terms of not only your work, but just in being here in Ground Zero that you can share with our viewers so that they can get a little feel of what it means to be in your position and be here and be dealing day to day with the people from all walks of life, both in pain and both here as volunteers or workers, and what impression that has made on you? Well, first of all, I want to tell you, uh, Rabbi Tolton, that you know one of the chaplains that that is in uh, uh, served in the Army National Guard is a, a rabbi, uh, chap, uh, Chaplain Larry Bazer. He's out in Halpog. Uh, he was one of the earliest chaplains uh, to arrive on the scene. And we talked together. Uh, he was here uh, practically among the first, if not the first, coming the same time I did. Um, I'll share a, a story, a quick story with you. Um, the third day of this mission, uh, it was Thursday morning, one of my chaplains came over to me, who was not Jewish, and he said to me, uh, Chaplain Goldson, I have something for you. Yes. And he took out of his pocket, he took out a yarmulke. I said, okay, what's this all about? He said that last night, which is the night before, um, as the rescuers were working through the rubble and the pile looking for to save people, uh, one of the rescuers found um, this yarmulke and turned to one of my soldiers and said to him, um, uh, if you have a chaplain, give it to him. Uh, he, he'll know what to do with it. It was obviously the rescuer was from New York and uh, uh, knew what it was all about. And Chaplain Champa of the 1st 105th Infantry gave this yarmulke to me, and I looked at it, and then uh, tears came to my eyes because I'd seen that it was from a wedding reception that was just two days before, on um, Sunday before. Very powerful experience. I, um, I photographed the yarmulke. I turned it into the uh, police department, the photographs. I have the yarmulke. We're attempting to see who this belonged to, even right now. All right. You mentioned concerning the blowing of the shofar in Rosh Hashanah. Can you tell us in general what happened here during the services for the high holidays, if anything happened for Hanukkah, and what that meant to you also? Well, um, we were very, very busy here um, over the holidays, uh, the Yom uh, Tovim. Um, in Kippur, uh, we managed to get people. There was one small synagogue here. Soldiers wanted those who... who, who uh, who wanted to go to a synagogue saying they were able to go off uh, a couple hours uh, to go to services. And for sukkahs, we uh, built a sukkah here. It was the most interesting sukkah I've ever built. Um, the ar the uh, Army engineers, one of our engineers, uh, put together a, a small sukkah and it moved um, 
about four or five times because as rescue work goes on, uh, you uh, got to move. You just can't let it sit there in the middle of the, you know, the operation. But we did have the sukkah, and it was beautiful. And uh, had a little... this, you got many of the volunteers who were actually doing the recovery movement were themselves there, Jewish. There were there were people uh, of the Jewish faith uh, that were here, and there were people in general that were that were just curious to know what this is all about and uh, why we're doing it. And uh, we explained that as well. I wasn't here all the time. I had some pamphlets that was that I left on tables, and we had to replenish them all the time because people were just curious. And what happened here for Hanukkah? Hanukkah, we had a menorah here at Ground Zero. I, I, menorah actually was sent to us from Chabad of the West Coast. Rabbi Shlomo Kuhn and, uh, made three menorahs, uh, beautiful fabricated three menorahs, shipped them in by air. Uh, we had one at Fort Hamilton, one here at Ground Zero, and one at the, the big armory where they, we had a lot of soldiers. And I was a pretty busy person running from place to place, so lying them in the but we lit them, uh, we lit them, we had them lit every day. And it was uh, very moving. Uh, there wasn't a large crowd, it was cold, uh, but those who wanted to come came, and it was nice. Yeah. Very nice. Tell me, in the course of your work, I'm sure, especially in a place like Ground Zero, there are many people who come to you and ask, Rabbi, how could this happen? How could God allow this to happen? How can I believe in God in the presence of such tragedy and such destruction? How do you handle that and how do you answer that? You know, uh, the old question, why do good, bad things happen to good people? In this case, yes. It, it's a fair question. It was a question that was asked, that it was asked, it's being asked all the time. Um, the answer is God is good. That's what I tell everybody. God is good. Human beings have the, chance, the, the choice of choosing between good and bad, evil and kindness. And these individuals chose evil. Um, they're the bad people. And what they did here was beyond belief of evil. Uh, there are no words to describe what they did here. The, the lives they shattered, the, the thousands and thousands of orphans that were left behind, uh, destruction, just the wanton destruction, and the wound uh, how many people's um, lives have been shattered in one way or another. So God is good. People are bad. Right, and the choices really are is to take it upon ourselves to carry the baton and make sure that we make sure the world does not turn into a dark place the way the terrorists would like, and to the contrary, to be able to, as President Bush has said in the past, to be able to make sure that we do acts of kindness, which is really very similar to what the Rebbe had said also. It was almost as if Bush was echoing the clarion call of the Rebbe as far as making sure that, that we all rise to the occasion and try to transform this darkness into light, which has been an amazing development that we've seen before our eyes as well. And that's absolutely correct. You know, do good will overcome evil. That's what I tell everybody. We'll beat the bad guys. Well, of course, one of the Rebbe's major sayings that directed all of our work is that one candle in a dark room can push away a lot of darkness. And in this case, we've seen how one darkness has done tremendous damage. But we have to, of course, live with the faith that that old candle, whoever we are, whatever situation of life we're in, we can carry the candle, we can have a tremendous effect. And, of course, you're doing that as well. You're uh, a big candle, I would say. I am probably a small pebble in a big pond, but I tried my best. Tell me, the faith issue. Can you tell us some other situations you've had, conversations you've had, things you've heard? Um, people and, and the struggles that they've had, even amongst the chaplains that you dealt with, that you're that report to you, will probably go through some of a question in this area as well. Um, I probably won't uh, um, comment to that, but I don't think any of our chaplains per se have any doubt, had any doubts in their faith or the people that worked in this area. In fact, they were very strong and resolute and reinforcing others. 
Um, they saw the destruction, they saw the terrible tragedy here, and they knew they had one mission, and that was to uh, reinforce others and uh, counsel others and console others. And they did a good job, but on faith issues, this is a tough one. Yeah. Well, this is an issue, of course. This is the ultimate evil. When you face the ultimate evil, it becomes very difficult to know how to take steps from here on in. But just in conclusion, I want to ask you about your own personal life and your own life, how it's been changed since 9-11. Uh, for your own family, for your, uh, your home, your emotions, your feelings, everything else about your life, how it's changed since 9-11. Can you share with the audience a little bit, without getting too personal, about how this has really turned your life upside down and, and uh, how you reflect upon it? I think I've slowed down a little bit, but if I've taken anything away from this to, is to spend more time with people, your own family, and appreciate what you have around you. The person's married, his wife, his children, he has children, and just, you know, just try to do a lot better. Because you see that uh, what happens when people do bad things. So uh, every, everybody's life has changed uh, uh, for, in, in, a, in a way uh, which I believe is positive, in a way that they want to give more of themselves to others and help others. I mean, you've seen the city uh, just pull together people who, who didn't respect or were in front of one another. It's just lots of things happened, uh, whether it was planned or not planned, it just happened. Well, like you say, I think a lot of millions of people have come to the same conclusion. Family, and of course, in, in our case, in terms of community as well. For our own community, and you live in a kind of nice community of Brooklyn, and being close to that community and feeling a part of it is something that, of course, is, is crucial to all of us. And hopefully, if anything, I'm out of it, this will be it. Amen, with God's help. Well, Colonel I want to thank you very much, and please uh, keep up the good work. And of course, we'll be in touch in the future. I hope there's anything that we can be of help with that the Lubavitch Worldwide community can help with. Of course, we'll be there to be able to provide that support and do whatever we can on our end. Not a problem. Happy to do it, Rabbi Talton. Okay. Well, Rabbi, good luck. All the best. Take care.